The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Terratech with Jim Lane. Terratech is all about the products and companies that are using substantial materials that are changing the way we dress, eat, drink, shop, and live. We are becoming a more bioeconomic society and are more aware of the products in our lives. Now, here's your host, Jim Lane. Welcome to Terratech. I'm your host, Jim Lane, for the next 60 minutes as we take your calls and questions today and as we continue our look at how technology is changing everyday products in the world around you. As I said, we're taking questions throughout this program on the trends uh, as you see them. So be part of the conversation. You can submit questions via Twitter to BDigest or email them to me at jlane at biofuelsdigest.com or call in live at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. And we'll be starting to take those calls at around uh, 9.15 in about 12 minutes. We've had a lot of questions and comments coming through already. And thank you for those coming in. Joining me in our opening segment this morning as we explore the materials and fuels revolution is Mr. Will Thurman, the CEO of Emerging Markets Online. He's the author of Algae 2020 and Drop-In Fuels 2020. He joined us this month at the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference in Washington, D.C. and joins us this morning on Terratech as we look at the hottest trends as he saw them on stage from technology developers, financiers, policymakers. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Jim. It's good to be here. How are you? Well, it's uh, it's a it's a great day in the bioeconomy. Uh, you know, it's every every day with our with our new president in Washington D.C. is an exciting one, an interesting one. You just never know what uh, what's going to come across, and and we've never seen anyone who embraced uh, the new media like uh, like this one. Um, so we spent a lot of time at ABLC in in uh, 2017 in Washington D.C. a few weeks uh, back or a week and a half ago, and uh, wanted to have you on the show this morning to talk about the trends. We had Dupont DSM. On stage uh, with uh, uh, with some big announcements, we had uh, Sofanova announcing a hundred million dollar new uh, uh, fund for the uh, uh, for investment in renewable chemicals. We had the governor of uh, Maine, uh, Paul Lepage, who is uh, no stranger to controversy, but he came on stage to announce uh, a big investment bio based initiative in Maine. And we also had uh, a number of other investments, including uh, Lysella announced a big joint venture on stage for uh, the development of fuels and chemicals that'll be uh, in Canada. And uh, they also announced uh, another project elsewhere around the world. So, so it's a, it was a big, exciting week. What, uh, what were the highlights for you? Uh, I, well, it's, you know, this, I think this is the eighth uh, Advanced Biofuels Leadership Conference. It's now called the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference I've participated in, going all the way back to Baltimore, I believe, in 2007 or so. And uh, it's a very different landscape that we're seeing today. It's uh, some of the key things that I'm, I'm seeing uh, you know, diversifying from the fuel sector um, are uh, you know, partnerships uh, across the board and, and fuels uh, and chemicals and feedstocks and in some of the emerging synthetic biology platforms. Um, I also heard 
a lot of talk about performance, particularly in the, in the biochemical sector. And then uh, there was uh, one, the third key trend uh, that I heard was go-to market strategies. And it's the market pull strategy where the, the customers come to the, the biofuel and biochemical companies and say, here's what we want. We want to partner with you. And, and, uh, and you see uh, organizations that are in draw, involved in fuels uh, diversify into the biochemical and bioproducts and bioplastics areas uh, because they're being asked to do so and, and they're being partnered up with. You know, well, in the in the world of of biofuels, which most people uh, are the that's the first product you're gonna you're gonna see in the in the bioeconomy revolution because it's there at the pump every day when you go to fill up. There's a an ethanol content, there's biodiesel and renewable diesel available to you. Um, so so in in that world, we want them to be drop in. We want them to be. Uh, Conventional engines have to be able to run them without uh, alteration. Nobody wants to go and get a whole new engine to run uh, an advanced fuel. But over in the chemicals area and and the materials area, there's a tension there because a lot of people want drop-in replacements. They want things that work and feel the same as the petroleum-based uh, incumbent. But there's a lot of emphasis on novel. So uh, novel performance. Tell us a little bit about why that tension exists, and, and what kind of uh, what kind of novel materials uh, might might uh, we be seeing coming down the pikeway? Okay. Uh, yes. Well, uh, the uh, what we're what I'm seeing in, in uh, the novels versus the drop-ins is uh, there was ecstatic about one thing, uh, and you know, they're, they're just a, uh, one of the biggest players out there, and it's um, and what what he said was, it's very hard for biochemical companies to compete in uh, in the drop-in chemical space because we have there's an overabundance of natural gas out there and ethane that's being cracked and, and sent around. It's hard to compete there. Uh, so what where we're looking, uh, where Dupont is looking, is into uh, performance chemicals and to no- novel chemicals rather than the drop-in chemicals. And so for the folks in the audience. Um, who are listening, the drop-in chemicals are things like PET, PEF, biochemicals that can be dropped into an existing bio, bioplastic manufacturing facility like we see with Coca-Cola and, and Dasani bottles. Now, and, for those, for um, those listeners, Will, that are not familiar with the acronyms, uh, PET would be the uh, plastic that you would experience in a, like in, a, in a Coca-Cola bottle, correct? And PEF is, a, is an alternative to that. Uh, is it not made from uh, from a, a slightly different pathway, but it has some of the same properties? It's a clear plastic material that can be used to make a bottle, right? Yes, yes, that's, uh, that's my understanding. And so, uh, rather than these drop-in uh, chemicals, which can be dropped into an existing uh, manufacturing process for making plastic bottles or making uh, different types of chemicals, uh, what we're seeing is, are these novel uh, chemicals and molecules that. Um, uh, have higher performance characteristics. And in the plastic bottle market, uh, we saw a, a few different cases of organizations that where their, uh, their bioplastic molecules are, are novel molecules that have better performance properties for, uh, for being biodegradable, for uh, being, uh, uh, having a greater lubricity with being able to, to uh, get, get the, the fluids to flow out of the plastic bottle. 
uh, yeah, uh, better. We uh, we saw that from Heinz, and, and we saw that from Heinz, didn't we? Uh, Heinz just announced that they they want to help you to get the ketchup more efficiently out of your bottle, so they are going to uh, uh, create a material that on the inside is more slippery. So is that the kind of is that the kind of target for biotechnology, or is that a target for uh, only for petrochemicals? Uh, I think it's for both, but uh, you know the petrochemicals market has. Um, they're, they're facing two two big challenges. Number one is oversupply. Number two is price. So they just have to move what they have. And what I'm seeing here in Houston is uh, on the down the upstream side is hurting uh, in drilling, but the downstream side uh, in natural gas and chemicals is, is booming. And uh, and they're, they're Exxon and other companies are setting up these huge crackers for ethane. And so that's uh, so they're they're having trouble just moving what what they have at a low price. In the biochemicals market, they they realize it's hard to compete there. So these novel chemicals, um, uh, novel biochemicals, allow them to enter the space and offer something that's that's different and, and better than the, the existing petrochemical uh, molecules. And customers are demanding this, and and uh, and the companies like Coca Cola and, and Heinz uh, are are getting out there, and they're. There was a lot of searching going on around behind the scenes uh, for strategic partnerships and strategic investments in companies that have these high-performance uh, molecules in the space. Yeah, we've seen uh, an IPO that got out quite recently, and there's uh, IPOs are always tough to do. Avantium, a uh, Dutch-based company, came out with a... Uh, with a nine-figure IPO, a little bit over $100 million raised um, uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, they came out on the uh, Euronext exchange. It's one of the reasons why Sofanova, that one of their main investors, was on stage, but Avantium missed ABLC because they were in a quiet period. Now, their product is PEF, which is this alternative to a clear plastic bottle. The interesting thing about that, they tell me, is that um, not only is it you know potentially bio-based and it can be made from cellulosic materials, from waste materials, uh, potentially down the line, but in the short term, it also has better sort of uh, barrier properties than traditional clear plastic bottles. If you've ever noticed, when you go to get the two-liter Coca-Cola or the uh, you know the the sixteen ounce, you're going to get that in a plastic bottle. But if you go on and get the really tiny ones that are uh, typically at airline uh, counters and things like that, when you're when you're checking in and and they they say give you like a six ounce, those are going to still be in in cans. And one of the reasons is is that as you make PET much smaller, um, they, they it loses some of that ability to hold the liquid. Now PEF, which is Avantium's product, apparently solves that. So we may see clear plastic bottling that's really really small micro to replace some of those metals that we still have to use. For small uh, uh, for small bottling opportunities, is that the kind of thing where uh, that you're seeing across the line, or is that a one-off? Will that is increasingly becoming uh, the case, and uh, that the uh, the drop-in chemical in the fuel markets, the drop-in fuels are, is uh, is the trend, but in the chemicals markets, not the drop-in uh, chemicals. It's it's the uh, high-performance uh, chemical molecules that are uh, are increasingly gaining more uh, interest, more partnerships, more development. In the case of Avantium and, and this $100 million uh, investment, uh, we're starting to see something that we have not seen in the biochemicals area, and that is production in the 50,000 tons per year uh, volumes. 
And that's something that algae companies would only hope to do in the next three or four years. And a lot of other companies in the biochemical sector have not yet seen. Um, and we're starting to see that now. So we're this is a breakout, um, I, I think, in terms of the uh, scaling up and getting through the valley of death. And that's, that's a recurring theme we've heard about, the valley of death for the fuel companies and the chemical companies. And, and uh, manufacturing at those volumes is a key indicator that we're, we're moving out of the valley of death and, and getting into bigger partnerships, uh, strategic partnerships, go-to market relationships for uh, higher volumes of, of these types of products that are in higher demand. So uh, we, we've seen with, with companies like uh, Avantium that uh, they're focused on, on the plastics and chemicals, but we also saw another, a number of companies on stage talking about advanced nutrition. Uh, what's, what's going on there? We cover that every day in New, as our other publication besides the Digest. But what do you see? Do you see advanced nutrition, impossible foods, modern meadow uh, companies that are replacing, you know, it's meat without the cow, leather without the cow, milk without the cow. Are these early stage companies that are getting a lot of publicity and hype, or is are they going to also be on that train to that large scale production you're talking about with Avantium? I think it's going to take them uh, some time. There's uh, there's a there's a process and and a cycle for evolution of these companies, going from uh, inception to startup to um, to their prototype to their pilot to their demo and then to commercialization. They need to go through that process. And uh, one way to accelerate through that process is to, is to bring in partners uh, that say we we need these chemicals, we need uh, we need these kind of foods. There's a high amount of demand for it. We're willing to take a risk on you and uh, and invest in you. And so to uh, give them a, uh, a a leap from the prototype uh, through the pilot into the demo and pre-commercial phase. And that's some of what we're seeing with. Uh, in the advanced nutrition space, uh, but it's primarily what we're seeing are, are companies that are uh, able to improve the abilities of uh, genetic sequencing and uh, genetic splicing and to democratize uh, that space, which has traditionally been for uh, just a, a handful of companies. And, uh, and now what we're seeing is a greater amount of collaboration, a greater amount of tools uh, for D- DNA sequencing, uh, the CRISPR model uh, that we've seen with Vonnie Estes and her group, and uh, smaller organizations getting together and collaborating to uh, to really accelerate the growth and um, and to accelerate the uh, the life cycle and the evolution of, of these enterprises from conception stage to prototypes, the pilot stage, out to the commercial stage. Yeah, a lot of these so, questions will are a lot of these questions are they not uh, with companies like like Caribou Biosystems, the company you're mentioning there that has a CRISPR Cas9 technology. This is gene editing. So in this case, they're not actually modifying. So it's not genetic modification or GMO, which people have been trained to think is a bad thing. Uh, they're actually editing the gene, so nothing new is in there. But they're you know perhaps taking out some things that. Uh, uh, or waste uh, processes that aren't needed to make a target chemical. So do you think that has the potential to really uh, change the economics by changing the performance? A molecule that could produ- produce you know, one of something now can produce three because it's edited back to uh, to be more efficient? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think that's one of the key areas that, that we're seeing in the key intersections and from the bio- 
uh, is carrying over from the biochemical space into the, the biomaterial space for nutrition as well. And, and that's something we saw with Ginkgo Bioworks. And they, they, uh, they gave a nice demo of their spider silk shoe partnership they have with Adidas. And, uh, you know, they were traditionally focusing on flavors and fragrances, but they're coming out and looking at textiles markets. Now, yeah, with, uh, yeah, Adidas for that, that Spider-Man market has really taken off, isn't it? Uh, we've also seen uh, silk ties are now available. You can buy them online from Bolt Threads. I think they're like it's like a hundred or two hundred dollars for a tie, very nicely designed. So it's a it's a high end designer tie for people who uh, uh, are tired of buying Teslas with their spare change, but um, uh, definitely a commercial product made from spider silk. So it has unusual properties, and that uh, that's another area where these novel materials are going to be uh, playing a role. I think so. Uh, so a trend there. Yes, yeah, I think that one of the things that, uh, that Jason Kelly from Geeko Bioworks was saying is that they're looking into these new markets and uh, uh, textiles. So beyond shoes for uh, customers like Adidas, they're also talking with Patagonia for jackets and high-performance jackets. And I just spent a few years uh, up uh, in Virginia along the Appalachian Trail where it gets really cold at night. And um, and you have to buy some very expensive uh, equipment, uh, such as a Patagonia jacket, the two hundred, three hundred dollar jacket that can keep you warm at night and cool during the day. And uh, and increasingly, customers are looking for um, products that are, are uh, bio based, uh, so they don't want petroleum uh, based chemicals for their their jackets uh, in. Uh, in in their outdoor gear and, and in their outdoor lifestyle, they want bio based materials. So we're seeing more of that happening now. Well, Will, we're going we're gonna to take a short break here. Um, again, reminding our, our listeners to join in the conversation today. We're taking your comments and questions via Twitter to B-Digest. You can email them to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com or call in live, 866-472-5788. We're getting quite a few uh, uh, from uh, email and online, and thank you for those. We're going to be back after the break. Will, stay with us. we got more to talk about. IKEA, Patagonia, you mentioned, uh, and Lego and more. Uh, we'll be back Uh, right after this. Stay with us. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Terratech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is make America great again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. Combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing oil new- prices. Yes, the story on um, everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know other technologies work like DME and and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com/ablc. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring amazing stuff from pioneering bio-based companies. And, and today we're taking your questions throughout this program on technology trends and your comments. To join in on the conversation, uh, you can send a question via or comment via Twitter to bdigest. You can email them to jlane at biofuelsdigest.com or call in live Enjoying join the conversation with me, 866-472-5788. We're getting quite a few via email and online. Thank you for those. And uh, joining us, we have uh, Sam Kane is going to be joining us to uh, uh, to make a comment, ask a question. Uh, Sam, uh, good morning and welcome to Terratech. Uh, nice to be on. Uh, I just caught up to this. Uh, great idea uh, to have um, sessions like this. Um, what's, what's of interest to me, uh, first of all, um, I'm still a board member for the last five years of Bioindustrial Innovations Canada, so we, we the North here, uh, are also uh, pursuing an assortment of different uh, uh, opportunities within Canada. It could be with U.S. or European uh, companies also that are... Well, Sam, we had a little drop out there. Bioindustrial Canada, while we're reconnecting there, is, uh, is a group based in uh, primarily in Ontario, and it is uh, run by Sandy Marshall. He used to be uh, Murray McLaughlin and is uh, the, the group behind uh, technologies such as BioAmber, uh, which makes a, a succinic acid, which can be used ultimately to make uh, nylon uh, from bio-based materials and from waste materials. And also they're using uh, uh, corn sugars. And another uh, technology they've innovated with is uh, a company called Comet Biorefining, and those are people that do take uh, waste materials and turn them into the sugars that BioAmber uses to make uh, uh, to make succinic acid into lots and lots of everyday uh, materials that would be around you, like nylons and and other forms of uh, plastics and biomaterials. So that's uh, that's Bioindustrial Canada. It looks like we may have lost uh, Sam just for a second. Um, we will move on to the next call. I believe we have uh, Scott Chaplin uh, standing on uh, on on hold there. Let's. Uh, good morning, Scott. Good morning, Jim. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, good to see you again, or talk to you well, again. Yeah, it's good. To, good to. Uh, yeah, good to be online. We just had uh, Scott was just on was just with us at the Advanced Biofuels Leadership Conference in Washington D.C. Quite a quite a crowd out there. A lot of exciting things. You were on stage moderating uh, for us. What uh, first of all, Scott? Before we uh, get get any further, what uh, what were the highlights for you at ABLC this year? What were the what were the big trends? Uh, for me, uh, coming from the flavor and fragrance industry and also the food and beverage uh, uh, CPG groups, uh, what to me was exciting was seeing some of the novel uh, advancements in commercialization of some of the biotech companies in the space. Uh, so things that are going to taste good and 
and smell better and, and be more active and, and better for health and, and wellness with consumers, I think is all exciting, especially when people like Jason Kelly was talking about novel new ingredients uh, that Ginkgo is producing and, and people like Avala developing resveratrol from, uh, from biomass. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah, resveratrol. Of course, um, those of us who are red wine drinkers always very, uh, always very sad to hear alternatives to produce resveratrol because that's the that's the magic molecule that makes you live forever, right? Uh, uh, that's in red wine, but um, you can get it now through Evolva, uh, making it through uh, everyday. They're making it from from plant based sugars, I believe, and they're also doing exactly. some other. Some other types of materials. Another company that was on stage, I'd be interested in your thoughts. Amaris started off making an anti-malarial, then got into fuels. They make some jet fuel along the way uh, that's available in Brazil. They power a couple of diesel cars down there, so a wide variety. But they've been getting into nutrition and advanced flavors and fragrances of, of late. And we had uh, 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 Jim Iacopone was on stage uh, talking about that. What was your, what was your take on, on Amaris? What's really kind of interesting, Jim, about Amherst is their business models evolved uh, over the, the last number of years. Uh, they're actually into cosmetics now with some of their new cosmetic lines. And they just signed a, I think I saw in your publication, a big agreement with a Japanese company in that space. So yeah, they did. You're yeah. right. They, they started off in, in, a, in very similar to Evolva in, in looking at maybe pharma or very specialized types of products. And they've kind of diverted to other areas of growth opportunities that they have they either been presented to them or they've, 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 they've acknowledged or found uh, through, through their uh, due diligence? Now, flavors or fragrances, they're, they're wildly different markets, but you cover both. Um, you know, the technology sometimes is very similar underneath the hood. But do you see uh, fragrances as being a real opportunity for, this, uh, uh, for these kinds of technologies, maybe, you know, based in, in what are called terpenes and other types of uh, highly fragrant molecules? Yeah, the, um, the flavor and fragrance industry is kind of divided in those two groups, flavors and fragrances. And mostly it's divided in those areas because of manufacturing and regulatory. So uh, the flavor industry is regulated by the FDA, and the fragrance industry is regulated by self-governing um, fragrance groups within the, within the, or, within the, within the world. Um, so I tell some of my clients that if they're interested in the space and they can produce some of these novel or interesting materials, Sometimes the, uh, the barrier of entry into the fragrance industry is a little bit easier than flavors because there's a lot more regulatory and, I would just say, scrutiny on the products that people are eating and ingesting versus putting on their skin, which is interesting because the skin is the largest organ in the body. Yeah, it's a little known fact. Hey, um, while I ask you, well, while I have you, um, also we've seen a little bit of activity in the area of food colors. Um, can, you, yes. can you comment on, on how is that? Is the demand going to be, you know, first of all, significant? Is there real pull from from the companies that are uh, that are developing uh, food coloring to to have bio-based alternatives? Is that coming from consumers? Are they trying to save money? What what's the driver there? And is this early stage R and D, or is there real companies out there doing stuff? So there are real companies doing stuff in this area. And what's happened is, if you want to use a case study at my old company, IFF. Uh, many, many years ago, back in the 80s, uh, a, a big part of their portfolio were what we called natural and artificial or artificial flavors. Uh, today, probably their, their strongest portfolio is natural flavors or, or even organic. So it's really up the game to a whole different level of qualification and regulatory compliance. Um, the same thing has been happening to the color industry over the last few years where People are moving away from artificial colors to more natural color products. So you're seeing things like blue carrot 
being developed and all kinds of other things. Uh, Alginol, I believe, was on the dais giving a presentation on blue spirulina, and maybe another company was talking about blue spirulina. These are all naturally sourced products from algae uh, that have color capabilities. Uh, I even know that some of the other companies out there in the biomass are looking to produce uh, carotenoids and other product areas in the color realm that are natural in color because that's the shift that's being driven, as you said, Jim, by consumers. You know, it's it's been a the on the ongoing uh, global search for blue has been or cyan uh, as a color is has really been driving technologies and driving change for a long, long time. Um, those listeners who are either three hundred years old or read a little bit of history will know that in the United States, one of long before uh, tobacco was a, or you know at the same time as tobacco was a big industry and before cotton, that indigo was an amazingly uh, powerful uh, uh, driver of uh, capital and investment into the United States from places like England because they didn't have a way to make blue. And indigo was a plant that they could get it from. So, you know, later on they developed synthetic alternatives. But it looks like it's coming back to this, uh, you know, to this idea of, of getting natural colors. And algae, uh, as you mentioned, cyanobacteria, which is blue-green algae, has uh, has some real nice properties. Earthrise has been uh, talking about uh, has actually launched a product uh, doing that. Um, besides besides blue and I suppose green, um, any other colors that that you think would be uh, uh, good targets? I, I think all the major reds and even yellows out there there are going to be good targets uh, for the color industry, Jim. So it just depends on what people can actually produce from biomass and and the cost of conversion. Uh, but I will say that when you start getting up into the color area, um, you're talking about some pretty expensive materials. It's not like fuels. Yeah, that's that's uh, especially in the fragrance business. <clears throat> I was uh, formerly at Elle magazine, which is a fashion magazine, and and uh, we we did very well uh, in our uh, our marketing uh, budgets <laughs> from from some of the fragrance companies. It's amazing how much uh, you know how savvy they are on marketing and how much goes into the marketing of these. Uh, products is that on a on a per pound per ounce basis the the prices are phenomenal uh, there yeah. so real opportunity for companies like Amaris uh, Scott tell us uh, tell us what you're up to these days uh, before before we lose you where can pe- where can people find you and and what are you consulting on now in the in the flavors and fragrance business Yeah I'm actually working with a couple of companies on the color side um, on the fragrance space uh, and, and also, uh, I've actually just finished up a big e-commerce project for a major a biotech company where they're trying to use their, their website as a CRM and also do some sampling and, and reach out to customers, which they consider SMEs, small to mid-sized enterprise. But I do, Jim, want to leave you with one other thought uh, that's happening right now. I just attended a big conference in Anaheim called the Natural Product Expo, uh, which is now a huge show. And it's really lots of companies from all over the world showing new natural types of products, anything from uh, insect protein products with protein bars uh, to actually active ingredients, uh, as we mentioned, maybe blue color or some other uh, areas like that. One of the hot buttons and one of the topics of discussions there was, was sugar reduction. Sugar reduction has become, uh, as someone said to me, almost like the tobacco uh, taboo of the industry. Uh, apparently, sugar is bad now in the press. Uh, there are taxes on sugar, so companies are trying to figure out how to reduce sugar in their products to, to make more profit and pay less tax or pass it on to the consumers. So sugar has become a huge hot topic at, at Natural Product Expo and the industry in terms of reformulation. So any companies out there uh, who are do- developing uh, sugar alternatives 
uh, I think that's going to be a great space for the next two or three years, even short term. Yeah, those are those companies like Evolva that are bringing forward uh, an alternative in, in the form of uh, Stevia. Well, Scott, thanks for, for joining us uh, this morning on Terratech. We'd like to have you back uh, again sometime, but we're going we're gonna to move over. We got Sam Kane uh, recovered from Bioindustrial Canada is, uh, is going to join us. And Sam, uh, welcome back to Terratech. A pleasure, Beyond. I, I got cut off there. I was just finishing up at uh, our first investment um, uh, as a government, call it a venture capital fund in this bioeconomy area, is for Comet Biorefining. Uh, it'll be about a $75 million project uh, to produce cellulosic uh, uh, feedstock, uh, C5 sugars, for BioAmber, who put up a $100 million plant in the Cerny area. Um, so this is the first effort of consequence in Canada, at least, to... Uh, uh, do a, and it's mostly corn waste, some sugar beet waste, uh, will be used to convert uh, those C5 sugars. Uh, there's enough catchment area down there to uh, maybe have um, about a four or $500 million type uh, investment overall over a long period of time. That's our biggest uh, corn, corn belt. So that's proceeding. Um, my, my company that I'm uh, deeper involved with now, uh, Blue Ocean Nutriscience, has announced the, the re-entry into uh, supporting all kinds of um, high-end algal alg- companies that have gone commercial um, in the world of nutrient supplements. So we're seeing trends in there that um, were already talked about just a few minutes ago, especially in, in the uh, supplement world of astaxanthin. The industry is still not caught up yet to demand exceeding supply. Uh, of all the big guys, BGG, Sinotech, uh, um, Fuji, Astoreal, uh, now Solix just entered the picture in Colorado. That's quite a switch for them from where they were with an algae infrastructure platform. Yeah, and, that's a big uh, comeback for, for Solix. Sam, tell us a little bit about what astaxanthin is and does for those that sure. are less familiar with it. Sure. It is the ultimate of reds. Uh, one, one billionth probably colors your water, your dye red. Uh, extremely concentrated uh, red pigment, but it's carotenoid. It's king of the carotenoids. Um, that is way above beta carotene, way above uh, lutein, uh, way above other, um, including not resveratrol, but the antioxidant within wine. That was a good topic, by the way. Uh, I enjoy my red wine for resveratrol, but also antioxidant. But astaxanthin is simply by far the most powerful antioxidant on the planet. And uh, it's being picked up now by ultra-high-end marathoners, uh, uh, pro athletes, uh, pro football teams, sports football, basketball, baseball, hockey, uh, contact sports for recovery of uh, injury. It's anti-inflammatory also, like an NSAID, natural. Um, lots of properties in there. I crosses the blood-brain barrier. Uh, and the company I'm working with currently, Blue Ocean Nutrisciences, has 40 times more astaxanthin. It comes into their shrimp oil, which is pretty much krill oil, except uh, super premium because it has so much more astaxanthin in it. Um, that's got a trend line. It's very strong out there right now, double-digit growth as far as the eye could see. Um, it, it's simply uh, one of the best unknown, uh, unless you've watched Dr. Oz or Dr. McCullough or Dr. Rudy Merck, the founders in this area, because this business did not exist 20 years ago. And it might be a, a billion-dollar business now for synthetically pigmenting with uh, petroleum-based cheap uh, astaxanthin, uh, the dyeing of fish and trout and salmon in aquaculture. But natural is about five to ten times greater in terms of its value nutrition-wise. And it's double-bonded to um, uh, molecules of fat, fatty acids like omega-3. And it has some kind of synergistic effect by being double-bonded to that, where you just can't, cannot get that synergistic benefit medically with 
adding synthetic petroleum-based astaxanthin. It just does not happen. Great studies out there on by BGG, Assas Real, Sinotech, um, that are worthy of studying in this area. Uh, it is it is one of the highest growing, highest value uh, uh, supplements out there coming from algae. But the sim- simple fact is that uh, it's it's expensive to grow in Hawaii or Israel, uh, for that matter, Washington State. I don't know how Solix is going to grow it in Colorado. But uh, anyways, any type of indoor photosynthetic platform or outdoor, um, uh, the gas infusion patented technology within Blue Ocean can help them grow more of it cheaper. And we're seeing that animal nutrition side you just mentioned too, picking up steam here because there's certain natural algae that can, in fact, have 50% protein patterns that are digestible as opposed to some that aren't out there. And the digestion profile is being tested in poultry, in uh, beef, in uh, hogs right now. And it will ultimately, it seems to us, and we're once removed from this, lower the cost of feed because you can make, make the protein balance, if you may, more effective using algal ingredients uh, into your feeds. And there's a trend line there that uh, looks big because that industry is massive. Um, so that's some of the things we're seeing on the algal side. Um, and uh, you'll see right now, for sure, algal omega-3s coming at the market. Um, uh, Qualitas just announced theirs just a couple of days ago. I think you might have carried that story um, from Texas and uh, others in the market now with algal products. Almega, uh, you have uh, the new guys in uh, Hawaii, Solana. Uh, they're, they're going commercial now. And uh, you'll see ultimately a vegan omega-3 profile. It could have a vegan shrimp oil equivalent or vegan krill oil equivalent profile because certain algae also have phospholipids. I'm a, I was say, trying to figure out how to, how to combine vegan and omega in one in one sentence there. We're going to take a short break. Uh, Sam, stay with us. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about about these things and we'll learn a bit more about your company. Uh, we're going to uh, come back when we, we're going to continue looking at amazing stuff from pioneer, pioneering bio-based companies. We'll be taking your questions about technology trends. Uh, stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. TerraTech is brought to you by the Advanced Bioeconomy Leadership Conference, March 1st through 3rd in Washington, D.C. Technology Convergence, Energy Security, Advanced Manufacturing, and Clean Economy Jobs. The RFS, which is Renewable Fuel Standard, is an important tool in the mission to achieve energy independence for the United States. Energy independence is a requirement of America's to become great again. My theme is make America great again. I will do all that is in my power as president to achieve that goal. combination of biology and uh, the technologies coming out of IT is really what's going to drive some amazing... Oil prices, yes. The story on everyone's talking about. But if the U.S. can prove that next-gen biofuels works and that you know, other technologies work like DME and, and really great kind of biogas vehicles, then they can export that. The thing that really is exciting is this convergence. To learn more, visit biofuelsdigest.com slash ABLC. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Terra Tech. To reach Jim Lane or his guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Lane at biofuelsdigest.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to TerraTech. I'm your host, Jim Lane. We're exploring amazing stuff from pioneering bio-based companies. We're taking your questions throughout the program on technology trends. To join in on the conversations, uh, please send a, a question or a comment via Twitter to B-Digest. You can email them to jlane at biofieldsdigest.com or call in live at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. We're getting a lot of uh, questions and comments. We're going to be getting to those uh, shortly, but we have uh, Sam Kane, also Will Thurman. Uh, Will Thurman, the CEO of Emerging Markets Online. Sam Kane has been uh, educating us, uh, Will, a little bit about... Uh, uh, the emerging world, especially up in Canada, for um, algal uh, uh, materials like astaxanthin, uh, omega-3s. Um, how hot are those, Mr. Thurman? Before we get back to Sam, what do you think? Those have been hot for uh, seven years. And so the question is, who can make them and, and who can get them out there in the market in a way that is feasible? And those questions remain. Uh, outstanding, and uh, there are uh, we're starting to see uh, Terra Via, formerly Solozyme, uh, get into that space and to compete with DSM, and some other companies are have been trying for years to get in and not successfully. So it'd be interesting to see what Sam has to say. And astaxanthin is it's it's one of these bioceutical things that's uh, unregulated, uh, and so that. There are different ways of getting into that market. It would be interesting to see uh, how his organization is doing that. Yeah, there's a there's a famous authority in the field by the name of uh, John Benneman, and he got a nickname in the industry of Dr. No because the answer to will it work with algae, the answer was always no. But the one thing he always said yes to was astaxanthin. He thought that was a... That was going to be a winner still. Uh, I think he's developing some on his own. So, so Sam... Um, Moving from astaxanthin to omega-3s, for those that are have seen, uh, you know, at their GNC that they should be eating lots and lots of fish oil, why is algae a good alternative to fish oil when well, it comes to omega-3s? Sure. First of all, it's vegan, uh, which appeals to those vegetarian vegan types. Um, most people won't react to fish. A few might react to crustacean krill oil, for that matter, crustacean shrimp oil but uh, very few. Um, the, the fish oil market's been around for two centuries, maybe thousands of years. Uh, cod liver oil started in the early 1800s, for that matter, for use of, well, cod livers. <laughs> and um, um, the, the, the bottom line is that uh, there's only so much effect you can get from uh, fish oil uh, in gel cap form. And uh, roughly speaking, it's 10 to 20%, depending how much fat you take with fish oil. Um, krill comes naturally with fat embedded in it uh, called phospholipid fat. Most of our drugs are carried by synthetic 
uh, phospholipids created to allow extended release through your body in, in the pharma drug quality world. Uh, these supplements are drifting that way, by the way, uh, with more and more folks coming up with triple concentrated fish oil or pharma grade this or that. And uh, that trend will continue into drug pharma on, for natural health and wellness applications in select areas. So uh, with fish oil, you never know where it comes from. Uh, per se, uh, who do you trust? Uh, uh, I know that through Blue Ocean we can buy Chinese fish oil all day long, but I also know how Chinese aquaculture works with pig farms right beside them and the amount of pollution that goes into aquaculture fish. And so you really want to, and this is happening more and more, you want to have MSC certified stamped, uh, be it fish, krill, or shrimp, uh, oils that are A, sustainable, and B, you know the ship that caught the fish or the shrimp or the krill that went into your product where you don't know in most fish products, and that trend is going to continue. Yeah, so I believe, uh, Sam, that uh, we, we, I think we heard somewhere that President Trump is proposing a fish wall. Um, so <laughs> we're going to you know, protect, protect us from, from these, you know, uh, these uh, unregulated fish that are invading our market. So you know, There's some stand, truth stand to that because, because, at least on the shrimp side, we know it very well, 90% of all U.S. Uh, shrimp eaten is, is imported, and 90% of that is aquaculture. And most of that is from China, Vietnam, Malaysia, where there's all kinds of dubious practice happening. But what your USDA uh, uh, turns a blind eye on, the minute shrimp are cooked, peeled, and frozen and bagged, you don't have to put source of origin on your product. That's partly why a lot of U.S. folks don't, don't even want to go near shrimp because they don't know where they come from. And, and there's no requirement to label stamp source of origin. Illegal immigrant of fish. Origin, oh, my God. Who would have known? Illegal immigrant fish. We're going to have to round them up. Well, the INS happens. is and here's, going to have to happens get the fans cases. out there. There's a great Bloomberg article just before Christmas on tainted, tainted shrimp. And basically the injection of aquaculture shrimp with just dead gel to plump them up, if you may. Vietnamese, thousands of people, women do that every day, plumping up shrimp because it's paid by pound, right? Kind of like injecting extra hormones into chicken or beef just before, just before, because, so they add more water in because they're all paid by weight. And so this kind of practices go on in all kinds of aquaculture. And, and then you have the, the antibiotics that roll in from the pig, pig waste that goes into the shrimp farm or the fish farm. And so your shrimp being imported not only have shrimp antibiotics, but also have pig antibiotics embedded because there's only about a 10% uptake in a, in a hog, if you may from antibiotics being injected, the other 90% flows right through. And so, uh, before, and before, we, before we lose you, I, I wanted to make sure I asked you this one question. We're going to have to get on to some of the uh, questions that have been coming in online. And Will, please stand by because you're going to help me answer those. But Sam, before we, before we leave uh, the, the, your segment, I um, just wanted to ask you, um, there's always been sort of a presumption that algae could only grow in very tropical, very sunny climates. Uh, people have talked about the desert um, we've looked at Saudi Arabia, Mexico, places like that as the optimal place. Yet, you're uh, you're mentioning places like Colorado and also Canada. What's yep. uh, what's 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 changed? It was that just perception, or is there been change in the science to make that uh, to make it work in colder climates? Well, most of it will be indoors in a colder climate if it's organized on land. Um, cold climate algae do exist. They're underneath the uh, Antarctic ice shelf and the Arctic ice shelf. And uh, the, the shrimp, for instance, that Blue Ocean uses, um, the shells, shell waste, that is, comes between Greenland and Newfoundland, one of the few areas left of pristine water on the planet because the pollution can't get in there with the currents. It's just trapped and tucked in there. 
and basically those shrimp are eating astaxanthin-rich uh, HP algae. That's where their, sh- their shells get beet red from. Same with Maine lobster. Same with uh, Alaskan uh, king crabs. Um, that's all interconnected, and it's the astaxanthin that's being collected in their shells by virtue of nature the last billion years. Um, so there's a lot of algae in cold water, and so there's studies being taken up here in actually cold water al- algal growth, and they're all targeting astaxanthin, for example. But these are early stage. There's not big commercial efforts in Canada. It's been supported by our, our federal government uh, National Research Council. It's actually a pillar of research in this country. That's with, with big quotes, though. That what does that mean? Not a whole lot. Sounds nice. And we have algal labs in the east coast of Canada uh, uh, for quite a while now, working away. But the commercial level of it is not going to be material going forward. Actually, the biggest uh, astaxanthin producer is going to be Blue Ocean itself from simply using the shells left over from Greenland and Newfoundland and extracting the algal oil that's been embedded in those shells, which is 40 times more astaxanthin in that particular oil than you get naturally in krill. And hey, Sam, where, where, where can you find out more about the company, Blue Ocean? Where do you uh, find it? Go to their website, blueocean.nutrisciences.ca. Uh, uh, and they now just got commercial with their first series of products called Pure Polar. And purepolarshrimp.com sells every day. Sells every day in Amazon.com, GNC's LuckyVitamin.com, VitaminWorld.com, and a few others. Well, Sam, enjoyed. thanks Thanks for joining us this morning. Really enjoyed it. Uh, it's blueoceansnutraceuticals.ca is where you can learn more about that one. Sam Kane, Bioindustrial Canada, uh, Innovation Canada, uh, amazing organization, Comet Biorefining. We mentioned BioAmber. Uh, let's get to a couple of uh, couple of the questions that have been coming on online uh, from those uh, too shy to uh, or, or too far away to, to be with us live this morning. We'll uh, st- stand stand by with us uh, for these. We're, uh, we've got a, a couple of questions. Uh, uh, ones that I think are are worth taking a, a, a close look at. First of all, we had a question coming from Mike Crosby at Green Life USA, and and he asked, "What do you believe will develop with the Trump administration's view of the EPA? Will regulations be relaxed, or will the entire EPA be abolished?" Will do you have a do you have a quick take on on what you think is going to happen with the EPA? We have a new. Uh, 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 a new administrator there that uh, used to sue EPA seems like for a living. So unusual times at EPA. What do you think? Uh, yeah, there's perception, there's reality. The perception is that Scott Pruitt, formerly of Oklahoma, who was uh, who prosecuted the EPA se- several different times, is now the EPA administrator, uh, coming from a uh, an oil and gas state, and that he's going to gut the whole thing. That is the perception. The reality is the EPA's regulations. Uh, for renewable energy and for uh, bioproducts uh, are are very complex. It's a tightly uh, wound uh, ball of, uh, of of regulations. It's going to be very hard for them to unwind that and and to to make any significant progress there. So there's a big divergence between the perception, uh, what you hear in the news, uh, uh, the noise, and the signal, which is uh, the reality at the EPA. It's going to be hard to disassemble it and to disassemble those regulations. Now, the, the Trump budget called for a 31% cut in the EPA's budget. So this is the actual people that that enforce those regulations, analyze future regulations, all that kind of thing. So um, is that a factor there that, that perhaps um, action to get relief, perhaps even from a regulation, if you've um, you know, if you need to, someone to look at something or give you an approval on a pathway, um, 
because uh, you're a clean technology. That might uh, come slower in the future. Would that be a potential problem? It could be. Uh, I, I think their primary focus is, is uh, on, on drilling and on pipelines. And uh, they, they want to be able to open that up uh, more. Uh, I think the, uh, that's their priority. The focus on, on biochemicals and biochemical pathways is not uh, much of a threat to them, and I, uh, I would not expect that to go away. We had a question, Will, from, from India, uh, which I think is an interesting one. Do you think synthetic ethanol will soon be a reality and will close all options for bioethanol? This comes from uh, Alalik Kumar Singhania from India, obviously middle of the night there. So we appreciate you uh, sending that question online. Synthetic ethanol companies have been, like Selenese, have been looking at this for some time. You can make ethanol from a lot of other things besides bio-based materials. Is that, uh, is that, is that possible, um, that that could be a reality and will close options for bioethanol? It seems to me a little problematic because the renewable fuel standard requires a bio-based material. It has to be renewable in character. So I'm not quite sure if that'll be a reality wherever there's a mandate. But uh, what do you think about synthetic ethanol? Is that, uh, is that a good use for, for petroleum? Uh, well, it's, it's, synthetic ethanol is very similar to, um, to methanol, which is made from natural gas. So it's not that uh, big. It's just only one or two steps to get it from, uh, from natural gas to methanol to ethanol, and we're seeing that with Oberon fuels. And, uh, and they're able to do that to turn gas into, into methanol, and, and they can go another step into ethanol. Uh, so it, it, it just depends on what the regulations are and, and uh, if that will be allowed. Uh, we have a renewable fuel standard because... Uh, things like corn and, and bio-based materials are renewable. Natural gas is not. So it would, it's going to depend on the regulation and probably won't go very far there. And unless you're in one of the big cities like Beijing and China and uh, it, there's just too much smog and they need an alternative, they could make it. They, they could very easily make uh, synthetic ethanol from natural gas. We had a question about, um, it's coming from Ray Grosh, uh, sent this in via from Gmail, and he was, he was asking about methanation, biological methanation. This is a process where we take CO2, we add hydrogen, and we make methane plus water. And Europeans have demonstrated this technology, they're installing this process, and the question is whether the U.S. has any role to play here. So biological methanation, is there any, is there any opportunity to take CO2 and make methane as a renewable gas for, you know, for power gen or for uh, compressed natural gas. A um, couple of things that occur to me is, you know, where are you going to get the concentrated CO2? And also, where are you going to get all the hydrogen that you would need to do that? Um, biological methanation, do you see any, any opportunities there, Will? I think that's going to be a government research project. It's not going to be uh, economically feasible in, in the markets with low-priced uh, natural gas. Okay, well, we're we're coming up on the end of the program. It's uh, the the hour has passed very quickly with our with our comments and questions coming in from the field. Thank you to those who called in, uh, Sam Kane, Scott Chaplin. Thank you to Will Thurman uh, for joining us and our readers around and, and listeners around the world. And we'll be back next week um, at Wednesday at nine Eastern as we take another dip into the changing world of products all around uh, all around us. And until then, I'm Jim Lane, wishing you a great day in this new world of opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to Terratech. 
Please join your host, Jim Lane, again next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And this week, take notice of the products in your life. 